It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, it's Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Uh, very good, Bryce, thanks. Had a bit of a trip. Obviously, last time we spoke, I think I just got back from Berlin. Is that right? Three weeks, two weeks ago, yeah, a week ago? That's right. Yeah. Um, and then I went on a mammoth road trip to Kiev, which was spoiled a little by 90 minutes. But on the whole, it was um, a tremendous five-day trip. So I'm pretty sure I'm still a little bit unsure what day it is. So I'm hoping that will rectify itself in the next day or so. Yeah, I'm sure it will. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you had a good trip. And we don't need to talk about the football, do we? We'll leave that. Especially as no German sides are playing anyway. So it's fine. Um, joining Chris and I, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how have you been? Oh, excellent. Absolutely amazing. Um, my weekend's games was a lot better than you guys' game. Uh, 80-60 got, co- got promoted. Yeah, we are back in professional football against all odds. So... I spent all of Sunday night in Giesing and then uh, all of Monday recovering. And now I'm in Croatia recovering a little more before the World Cup. So I'm excellent. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly congratulations. We're glad that one of the three of us got a bit of joy over the weekend when it came down to the football. And yeah, quite, um, quite joyous scenes, I would imagine. But I'm glad to hear you recovered as well. I had a bit of recovering to do over the weekend as well. But again, we're, we're past all that now. Anyway, yeah. t- today, uh, guys, we, we've got a fantastic podcast coming up. So we're going to have a bit of a, a season summary. Uh, we've got a very special guest as well, which uh, we'll be covering in the season. And all about his job. Some fantastic tips as well for people that want to get into commentary. Yeah, so it's a brilliant times. But before we do that, um, let's just talk about the Bundesliga clubs. And well, they've been rather busy. We we mentioned last year, and we we mentioned it. You know, I, I suppose beyond the podcast several times that German clubs like to do their business early in the transfer window. They like to get deals done. And um, yeah, I, I suppose Manu, the clubs have been busy, but maybe not quite as busy this year. I mean, they do have an extended transfer window compared to the uh, Premier League, but. It's 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 not been quite as busy this year. Are they expecting maybe some late deals or something? Yeah, it's a, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because uh, England is it August 9th, I believe, that the transfer window closes in England, and then the Bundesliga the transfer window closes August 31st. So usually this is the time of the year when Bundesliga clubs traditionally go 
all the business done. And I mean, you look at Borussia Dortmund. We're going to cover Dortmund uh, in a moment. And they've they already signed a new coach. They signed a new attacking player involved, and they they signed uh, or about to sign. Uh, they're still negotiating this deal with Werder Bremen uh, Delaney. Um, at the same time, it seems a lot quieter than usually at this time um, of the season because a lot of clubs, a lot of the smaller clubs, are looking at this and saying, "Look, well, there's going to be a lot of players looking for clubs following August 9th. because um, at that point, Premier League clubs will only be allowed to sell right abroad." And um, players that haven't gotten a deal with the Premier League will all of a sudden be available. So it's an it's a bit of an odd one. At the same time, we have a, a World Cup window as well, the World Cup transfer window, where you see a player scoring maybe three goals, never have done anything else in his life, and all of a sudden getting a 40 million euro transfer, right? So it's a bit of an odd year, but I think um, you will see that a lot of Bundesliga teams will be a lot more hesitant than usual. And I, I mean, Chris, last year we discussed how Bundesliga clubs were so early on the money, and this year it seems to be almost uh, a, like there's a break on it a bit. It is a little odd that it's slower, but I don't know if this um, window shortening in the rest of Europe has affected them, or maybe they're just trying to keep an eye out for players who are going to come I'm good at the World Cup, bearing in mind what Manu's just said as well about um, players maybe playing above their level in the World Cup and not to do it again. I mean, if you want to go back in time, um, Scalacci from Italia United springs to mind on that, someone who really exploded at the World Cup and then was probably never seen again. I mean, there has been some um, small um, movement, hasn't there? I know some of the smaller clubs have done some that have come up, so... Um, The likes of Duffel, uh, sorry, Dusseldorf have already signed a player. Um, I know Dortmund have, have signed Wolf already. And then, of course, we know about the likes of um, Goretzka, etc., who was agreed in the uh, winter coming over. But, I mean, where are we now? It's not even really June, is it? So I would expect it to start to catch light maybe the next week or so. I would expect... If any big transfers are going to be made, that they would be done before the start of the World Cup because the buying side uh, will desperately want to uh, make that happen before it can be changed at the World Cup, before maybe even bigger teams or teams from different nations try and come in after they've been sniffing around. So although it is a little slow, I think I'm going to bear in mind that as we record that, it's only the 30th of May, and I would think from next week when we hit June to you know, the start of the World Cup, which is in two weeks' time, I think we'll see quite a lot of movement. And if I remember correctly, last year, um, my notifications on my phone were going off what seemed to be every maybe 20 or 30 minutes um, from the Bundesliga when a, when a deal had been um, confirmed. Yeah, you guys can look forward to thousands of uh, Twitter uh, notifications. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, when this... Um, And the transfers do start moving around. It's it's going to be interesting to see just if the uh, if the window shifting does uh, make a difference. Uh, I I suppose, Manu, it, it's going to be you know if, if a player we see plenty of players that want to move, you know, uh, but uh, then the transfer window passes and and they can't. And I suppose that's where maybe some Bundesliga clubs will be um, hoping to to take advantage and maybe mop up, you know, maybe get a deal over the line after that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's one of these oddities, and we discussed. I remember this is so well last year discussing this that the transfer window should probably be shut 
on match day one, right, of any respective season. And um, in England, they went ahead and did that. In Germany, they decided not to. So I guess till August 31st, it will be for us again. Yeah, absolutely. But I suppose, um, guys, let's just see how this uh, one pans out. I'm sure there'll be um, some deals happening before uh, the World Cup happens and then plenty into August as well. But, um, yeah, let, let's talk um, about some of the big clubs. I've been, well, Manny, you described it a little bit more aggressive. Um, let, let's go to Chris on this one. Um, Dortmund have been busy, haven't they, with uh, the close season. Uh, Favre's not not been the only man that's come in. They, they've, they've made some signings as well. Yes, they have, uh, namely Wolf and Delaney. Well, Delaney, we expect to be included in the next 24 to 48 hours. But I think they had to be, didn't they? The season they had um, previously, the one that's just obviously ended, was, um, I'm going to say it was atrocious for Dortmund's standards. So they needed to move quickly. Um, I think Manu and I, well, I'll speak for Manu on this. He may have a different idea, but I think I, I know. Um, we're a little shocked about how quickly Favre was, was lined up because we were in Berlin um, speaking to somebody we know who who advised us that maybe it might not happen because people were out of town, but um, this deal must have been tied up a long time ago, man, mustn't it? Because um, if we're led to believe that everybody was out in the States. So, um, yeah, it, it, I was shocked on that. I thought maybe it would have been an extra week before Favre was announced, but it came when it did. Um, unluckily for Manu, I think he was on a flight, which um, happens to the best of us, happened to me yesterday. Um, but Wolf, I think I'm, I'm really excited by this because I've seen him play, uh, obviously quite a lot for Frankfurt. And, um, when I've seen him live, I think he's a real player. He's got very good control. He, he drives at the back. Um, he seems a very confident player. And after the season Dortmund had, um, they need that. And, and I'm very glad it's Delaney because, um, in my bleary eyed state, I read Deeney, Bryce. Can you imagine that? Troy Deeney from Watford. So, um, I'm very glad. I'd love that, it. Yeah, I'm very glad it's not Troy Deeney, that it is actually Delaney. And I think that'll be a fantastic signing, um, when it comes, um, to fruition and is, uh, is announced. Troy Deeney. Oh, I really hope there's a move in the summer just for the entertainment. I mean, I, I would not see that one coming whatsoever. I think but, that's um, how you know when you're tired. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think the the transfer committee that signed him as well will have to come up with an excuse like they're very tired or something beyond that as well. But um, uh, Manu, uh, I mean, how do you see the signings for for Dortmund at the moment? Um, obviously, Favre's come in, but you know we've got Wolf and Delaney coming in. I mean, I mean, is this a step in the right direction? I mean, uh, surely they are still on the hunt for for a striker as well. Yeah, then a hunt for four defenders, I guess he counts as one of them, so three more. Uh, I heard Van Licht is, is from Ajax Amsterdam is someone that they're heavily targeting. And then, of course, um, no one knows what the situation is with why. Although, um, signing Wolf, he's an, another attacking winger, uh, I guess that could perhaps mean that they're going a completely different uh, direction with um, the target man up front. I mean, those who have followed Lucien Favre's career in great detail know that he is not exactly a coach who likes to have um, a true number nine center forward up front. Remember, in Gladbach, he established Lars Dindl and uh, um, Raphael 
as the two half number nines up front. So um, the the way he plays football, and we have a piece up on fußballstadt.com, um, greatly I aided by a, an, a piece that I read in um, a book called Match Plan, written by Christoph Biermann, great Alphoyne journalist. Um, and he basically came up with this statistic, and I, I think I explained this two weeks ago on a podcast, or three weeks ago, that his team's father's team score shoot um, only on goal when when they're in a perfect situation. So it kind of looks odd at times because they will look for an extra pass, play the ball backwards, etc., etc., to get into the ideal shooting situation. And this requires players that are more mobile and flexible up front. So um, that puts the whole Batshuayi situation in a different light because it might mean that they're not going to go uh, for a true centre-forward Type player like Bachwai is, and instead, um, Wolf, another attacking winger, they have lots of those in lineup, and it will be curious to see what Faber's plan is with him. Yes, indeed, it'll, it'll be interesting just to see how he builds this side and just how many defenders upon a striker they, they do manage to bring in. Uh, guys, can I just ask the question? I keep getting hounded. Um, uh, on the likes of WhatsApp by one of my Arsenal supporting friends who wants to know if Socrates is going to sign for Arsenal. Is, is, is that something that's looking likely or at least his departure? Uh, from what I hear, it's likely, yes. Um, I think Dortmund want to cut their ties because he hasn't extended his contract. I'm curious if you heard anything in England, um, Chris, that kind of confirms that. Yeah, so there's lots of talk um, from various... Um outlets about Socrates moving to Dortmund, uh, sorry, to Arsenal. Now, whether that's a convenient um, link, obviously, with their head of recruitment now is obviously ex-Dortmund. So we'll wait and see. I have spoken to many an Arsenal um, fan and commentator and said this might not be the best uh, move for them, but they are. Uh, they, they all seem happy with it, actually. Uh, maybe because of what he's done in his past and and not whereabout he is in his career at the moment. I think it would be a, a bit of a strange move for Arsenal, especially under the coach who they just brought in. But we'll wait and see. Um, there's quite a lot of talk, but I'm a little hesitant whether whether that would come to fruition. But yeah, there's certainly a strong link or three with him to Arsenal. Yeah, so so I'm going to have to endure some more WhatsApps, it looks like, as the weeks uh, pan out. But uh, let, let's move on to uh, one of the other, um, well, the, the, the other busy sides in, in Germany. Uh, in RB Leipzig, um, we've seen the fire Hasselhutl this week, but also make a signing, a, a, a French defender, Mukiel. I mean, uh, Manu, there, there's plenty to talk about here uh, with both of these Um where do RB go next? And I suppose we can only expect there to be more action in the transfer window from them. Yeah, this kind of flew under the radar a little bit in all the other stories that we had on the, the Game Pressing podcast in the last week or so. so um, yeah, Hasenhüttl has been fed. Um, I think any Bundesliga fan has really followed that story in great detail. And ultimately, it came down to that. Hasenhüttl, and I think Kevin Hatchard is going to play in this great detail in, in his segment when he comes on, um, just didn't didn't get along with Rangnick anymore. They, they didn't seem to be on a common denominator. The, from what I hear, they have a coach lined up for 2019. Could be Mark, Mark Rose from Salzburg. Could be another coach. Um, there's a couple coaches in German football that are without a contract in 2019. Um, until then, 
we don't know what's going to happen. Um, I heard several um, several stories out of Leipzig that Rangnick is actually going to take over the job for that year, like he's done when he coached them in Bundesliga 2 in the year that they were promoted. Um, of course, then Leipzig were waiting for Hasenhüttl. Um, this time, I don't know exactly who they might be waiting for. I, I My guess, and this is a guess, uh, I'm the first to admit it, is Marco Rose. Uh, um, but it could be also um, someone else. Yeah, there's going to be lots of changes at that club in, in the summer. Um, but um, an, another big name that could possibly be leaving the Bundesliga, and uh, Chris, we'll, we'll go to you for this one, um, is, is Robert Lewandowski. I mean, he, he has been linked with moves in the past to the likes of Real Madrid and that, but it, there's now some coming out saying that it looks increasingly like his time at Bayern is is up, or at least in his mind it is. Whether the, the Bavarians will actually sell him is, is another question. Uh, well done, Bryce, for putting that caveat in at the very end, because we've seen it throughout, well, I think from Christmas onwards, that the Bayern management have said that he's not going anywhere. So this is going to be a really interesting um, fight, I think, Um Lewandowski has obviously got the agent he wanted to push through a move. Um, I think we spoke to Mark Lovell about that, didn't we, some while ago? Well, we've definitely chatted to him um, about that at some point. And, and yeah, he's brought the um, the agent he wants in to get him a move. Now, whether he goes to Real Madrid, I'm not sure, having seen them firsthand this week. I'm not sure if they need him, to be honest. I don't know if he would fit into. Um, to the way they play, maybe as well as he does to the Bayern system. Um, but I think it's pretty much obvious to everybody now. He's spoken in, a, in the last few days, maybe in the last 24 hours, about how he's focused on the World Cup, but it's time for a move. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, in in a twist of fate, Bryce, I saw him, um, or a, an advert of him, a, a cardboard cutout signing a Coke bottle, and I um, flippantly tweeted, not the last thing he wants to be signing this summer. So... We'll have to wait and see because, yeah, but sometimes we talk about player power. Now, this is going to be very interesting for me because I will say that player power probably lives at every club apart from those at the very top. And I say that, I would say Bayern Munich aren't a selling club, Real Madrid aren't a selling club, um, Barcelona aren't. Um, I think outside of those three, if you dangle enough money at somebody, they will eventually sell. So it'll be really interesting to see. But my caveat, Bryce, as you had one a little bit earlier, is that if the stupid offer comes in for the right amount of money, I think Bayern Munich might just say, well, this guy doesn't want to be here anyway, let's go. But I think it's going to cost some serious money. You're not going to get um, Louis on a cheap from Bayern Manu, what's your opinion on it all? Do you, do you see Bayern holding on to him and saying, well, tough, you're our property, you're not going anywhere? Or, or do you see him pushing his way out? He has a contract until 2021. I mean, this is, that's three years from now. Um, <laughs> I think if you're Oli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, uh, you can sleep sleep relaxed the next few weeks until August 31st because... I mean, worst case, they, they, they say, okay, look, we, you can strike, but um, how long are you going to strike? A year? Uh, is that how long is you going to sit this out? And we're just going to use all the money that we have in our bank account and buy another striker. Um, I think 
I think it's it's uh, Pini Sahibi, the, the the agent who who's in charge of making this transfer happen. Uh, who was also involved in making the Neymar transfer happen from Barcelona to um, to PSG. Is it, is it finding a new reality here? Because first of all, uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Oli Hoeneß are not even answering any of his phone calls, so he had to go to Sportbild. Um, second, there is no exit clause, right? Neymar had an exit clause. Uh, PSG just needed to activate the ludicrous sum of 222 million euros. That's not the case um, this time around. And um, I spoke to Pavel Vukovic when I was in Warsaw. He's a big Polish journalist. He's um, written the Polish version of Lewandowski's autobiography. And um, he said to me, Real Madrid are not in the picture right now. So um, the other clubs that I hear is, of course, PSG and Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea are in the Europa League. I mean, I, I, I just can't see them. I can't see Roman Abramovich shelling the amount of money needed to make this move happen. And with PSG, well, as far as I'm concerned, they, uh, UEFA Financial Fair Play investigation, I'm not sure where they are supposed to get the, all that money from that will be needed to make this transfer happen. Um, unless, of course, they sell Neymar to Real Madrid, which is a completely different story. But I, I, I just, Bryce, I just don't see where where the domino is supposed to fall to make to make this happen it's um there is there's a lot of moving parts and i don't see any of these moving parts work in Lewandowski's favor and it's all from him isn't it there's Biden yeah. have spoken consistently about how they're not prepared to let him go and it's interesting now i i i just can't see him fitting into that real madrid squad and if that's where he wants to go then then fair enough but if they're not interested then I can't see anyone coming close to paying the sort of money that may even tempt, um, you know, the the two at Bayern to consider letting him go. Um, and it would have to be a lot of money because you're quite right; he's got time on his contract. And yeah, how do you go about striking this? You can't because he's going to sit out, like you said, for the next two to you know, two years. No, you, you can't do that. And we all know how rich Bayern are, so um, you know <laughs> they could probably just write it off. I mean, if he's going to sit out, they'll probably find him every week anyway and I can't see him doing that because at the end of the day I don't think he's stupid enough to, to go on strike he, he may try and take it as close as he can but yeah this could be a battle of player power where the player doesn't get what he wants unless ridiculous money comes in and Manu I'm like you I can't see it coming in I'd be unconvinced that he would fit into Zidane's plans um, and I don't think anyone else has the money to even test Bayern and you're quite right Abramovich hasn't invested heavily in Chelsea for a while because they you know they're not making him the sums of money back that he, he requires in order to keep that as a as a business and I think he's done everything he wants he's won the Premier League he's won the Champions League he's won the FA Cup you know he, he's got pretty much what he wants out of Chelsea so I can't see him investing time and energy into that especially when he looks um you know north uh, west and sees um Manchester City ploughing two, three, four times the amount in. I don't think he's crazy enough to start matching that. So for me, it's going to be a tough one for um, for Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, yeah, it could be a, a long old summer for him. But, you know, first world problems, in my opinion. But um, let's see how this one uh, pans out as well. At this point, we're going to bring on our guest, which uh, I'm awfully excited about. Manu did 
let you guys know who it was. I was keeping it as a surprise, but but that's fine. You'll recognise his voice um, from uh, well watching the Bundesliga and the Europa League. It's uh, Kevin Hatchard, yes, the commentating genius. So we've got a bit of a section now with him in it, and we're going to talk about um, what he does in his role and also this season. So guys, um, get comfy. This is a good one. Enjoy. Kevin, uh, thanks very much for sparing a bit of time for us uh, this week. Um, I mean, we know you're a man in demand, and you just told us about your very hectic uh, schedule. But um, uh, for anyone listening out there, first of all, shame on you if you don't know who he is. But if anyone doesn't know who you are, could, could you just explain what exactly you do? Uh, well, I'm uh, lucky enough to be one of the uh, commentators on the Bundesliga World Feed. So uh, I get one of the best jobs going. I get to talk about Bundesliga all the time and somebody pays me for it, which I still haven't quite got my head around. Uh, I've been writing about the Bundesliga for Betfair uh, for a long, long time now, closing in on a decade of writing uh, about the Bundesliga for them Um, and a fair few radio bits and bobs as well. So never a dull moment, never a day off, but it's all good fun. Wow, fantastic. A job I think the three of us would happily do. I mean, Kevin, may I ask, how did you even get into such a role? Uh, Well, I started in local radio, uh, doing all the traditional things like making cups of tea and kind of just hanging around and hoping for an opportunity. And uh, one eventually arrived, so uh, I did some reporting for local BBC radio and then uh, graduated up to doing commentaries and it kind of just snowballed from there really i had a long spell at club call uh with the uh flashing teletext headlines and things like that uh, and the premium rate phone lines that was good fun for a while uh read radio bulletins uh, for sport for quite a few years um so that was good fun too so i've been lucky enough to have quite a varied career but it all came from kind of sticking with it being part of the furniture asking the right questions and being prepared to do pretty much anything really so yeah it's been good fun Wow, fantastic. And yes, all of our young listeners will be Googling to see what the hell teletext is. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe as well. Uh, So, Kevin, maybe just um, find out a little bit more about what what is it? What what does your match day look like, for example? You know, how how exactly does does you somebody that does commentating go about filling out their day? I'm sure every match day is is a busy one for you. Yeah, well, you hope that you've got most of it done by match day. So generally, my preparation will start on a Tuesday or Wednesday before a Saturday game. Uh, I'll be looking at little news lines, what might have happened, any quirky stories I can find, uh, going through various news sources. Um, and then I'll start putting more statistics-based stuff together towards the end of the week. And so the hope is by the time you reach the morning of the match day, You've got everything pretty much printed out. And so you're going back over uh, a, stat, a sheet of stats for one team, a sheet of stats for the other, and then a sheet of news lines or quotes, you know, what the managers are saying, any bits of kind of whimsical stories you can find. I always think, you know, it's the stories, it's the things that make players human rather than just names and numbers that people really engage with. So I always try and focus on those if I can. And then on a match day, it's just about, Going back over that stuff, um, making little annotations if you've noticed things, if you think things are particularly important. Then when you arrive uh, at the ground, it's all about scripting and making sure that you have 
the first couple of minutes scripted and then you have uh, an idea of what your kickoff line might be and then what your line might be as the teams come out. So, uh, yeah, it, it can have spells of the build-up to the game where it can be quite hectic, especially when the team news arrives, because as soon as that arrives, it's all about making sure, in conjunction with the graphics guys, that everything works the time. So when you see those lineups appear on the screen, and we're reading, you know, in theory, perfectly to them, uh, there is a fair bit of work goes into that. So, you know, all of the build-up to it is more stressful than the actual game itself. Once the game begins, that's the really fun part. Kevin, can I just ask, you know, with your... Um, with your little stats that you have, I saw, um, I think it was Clive Tilsley before the Champions League final. He had his just in a row. And then I've seen um, another one of your colleagues, James Thurgood. He has his laid out in formations. Which one do you do? Or have you got a completely different way of doing it? I have, uh, in terms of the each player stats, I have them in formation. So I have stickers, uh, which are luggage stickers, which have uh, much... Uh, more exciting purpose when we use them. Uh, so you put those in formation and they'll have the name, the number, uh, the goals, um, what have you. And then generally about four facts that I will find interesting. So if Timo Werner needs one more goal to get his 20th in all competitions that season, that might be on there. Uh, there might be a historical thing. If Maxi Arnolds is playing for Wolfsburg, I'll usually mention that he made his debut for them at 17 because that gives you an idea of how long he's been around and uh, how long he's been playing at the top level. So I'll have those, but I'll also have three separate um, printed sheets, uh, one with stats for each team, and then one with uh, those news lines and quotes, as I mentioned. What's great about the commentating community is that everybody has a different way of doing it, which I find fascinating. It's uh, extraordinary. And you're your prep does develop as you go along. Mine used to be handwritten, but I would never go back to handwritten now, not least because my writing is appalling. Um, so, yeah, I, I have always found that very fascinating. Guys like Derek Ray and Dan O'Hagan will have very small writing. They'll cram everything onto one sheet of paper, but generally all that stuff's in their head before they start. And um, when... When does that start? Because it looks like that isn't done on the Saturday morning or the or the Friday afternoon. It looks like it, it's done maybe three or four days before. Or do you just have a bank of that information that you just take out whenever the players are playing? Yeah, I personally do have a database. So as the season goes on, uh, I will, if I find an interesting story uh, that's on a website and there's there might only be, you might read the whole story and there might only be one thing you feel take out of it uh, to use for a commentary next time you do those teams um, I will have a database of that ongoing and once I've used it uh, maybe once for TV and once for radio I will then take that out uh, and not use it again uh, so I have that ongoing in terms of the statistics with the stickers I have a database for each team so I can just add and that saves a lot of time especially if you do say you do Schalke three games in a row you can just update certain stats and it saves a lot of time. But there are other commentators who will literally write out a new sheet wow. for every single game. Wow. I have no idea where they have the time. Uh, I have an eight-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. There's no way I'm getting that done. So um, uh, I have to use the database and I have to kind of add things as I go. But again, even with that, every commentator has a different way of doing it. Wow, some great tips for 
anyone looking to get into that line of work one day. Um, uh, Kevin, may I ask before we, that you, that this podcast is a bit of a season review. We're going to look back, uh, on you and the different parts of the season who, you know, the highs and lows, I suppose. But before we do that, um, may I just ask, what are the most difficult parts of your job? Is, is there anything that's, you know, ever, you know, is it, to the point that it almost throws you? Um, I think sometimes, I think you have to be prepared for anything. Um, so, uh, my heart went out to Rob Daly, for example, when he was covering Hamburg's game, uh, on the final day and they had all of the disruption in the stands. And so you have to, you have to just roll with the punches. You know, you have to just, uh, be able to react to stuff, be able to make sure that you can, um, paint a picture and tell the story you know if you're on radio you're painting a picture of what's going on if you're on tv you're trying to add to the pictures that you've already got so uh when things like that happen that are maybe not to do with what's going on on the pitch then it's about making sure you find the right tone and that's where being a journalist comes in you know all of the best commentators really are guys who have a journalistic background because they have that ability uh, not only to deal with situations like that but also to tell you what the story of the game is i always think that's the most important thing about being a commentator is getting down to what the the real narrative is, what the story of the game is, and that's where you get all the real emotion coming out of it, really. I, I think the most important thing is you, as a commentator, you just try not to make mistakes. In terms of your information, that's what your prep is for. You know, that's why you've done days and hours uh, of preparation just to make sure you're not making mistakes. It's a horrible feeling when you do do that. You know, it's rare, but it does happen. It's a horrible thing when you maybe say something that actually you think, no, that's completely wrong. So that's always a stinging feeling. I always kind of liken it to a goalkeeper. If a goalkeeper makes a dreadful mistake, it stings for a long, long time. Yeah, too soon, Kevin, too soon. <laughs> I know. I, 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 had I was just going to say. <laughs> I had him letting that third in, in my mind, just as I was saying that. But I did, but that's a really good example, actually. You know, it really stings for a while if you do make a mistake. Uh, but then you just hope that the next few games, you know, that will just kind of disappear into the rear view mirror. So generally, that's the toughest bit, just making sure all of your information is on point. And when the big moment happens, you just let yourself go and you hope that your brain and your mouth will connect in the way that you want them to. And uh, you end up calling the moment as, as well as you can do. Kevin, if you do make a mistake and you notice it during the game, what do you do? Do you just keep going and pretend it never happened? Depends what it is. Um, I, I think if you make some kind of statistical error, you can let the game breathe for a little bit and then go back and say, well, of course, actually this, this and this. So mm -hmm. there are ways of doing it. What you don't want to do, um, if you don't catch it straight away, um, you don't want to kind of make it too obvious. So you can kind of let it breathe for a bit and go, oh, by the way, and almost a bit of misdirection, if you like. Um, but I think... Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. 
Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. If you do make an error... Um, you just have to be self-deprecating about it. You just have to be, you know, hold your hands up. You hope it doesn't happen very often. And generally, the guys that work with them, from my own point of view, it is rare, and that's thankful uh, because of the work that does go in. And I know, you know, all of the other commentators I work with, an incredible amount of work goes into uh, what they do. Um, and I think, yeah, if, I think if you have, or, or if sometimes if the co-commentator says something that's not quite right, you can correct them, but you can do it in a way that's not confrontational. So you can actually say, well, actually, this, 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 and this. So you can, there are ways of doing it. And I think the more commentaries you do and the more experience you get, that you, you realize how you can kind of, um, you know, paper over those cracks, if you like. Kevin, I have, an, I have another question for you. Sorry. Uh, jump in. Um, the Bundesliga is not, is a German league and, a lot of German names are not exactly the easiest names for the English language. How do you deal with, I don't know, someone, a player from the past, Schweinsteiger? Um, how, how do you deal with names like that? To be honest, it's one of the bits of the job I enjoy the most. Um, it, digging into the pronunciations, getting them right. Um, I will always try as, as, as best as I can to get them right. Uh, it annoys me when they're not done right because it's basic courtesy, really. Uh, so if I hear a Julian Brandt, I start to come out in a rash and it really <laughs> starts getting sweats. Um, so, you know, I think it's very important to at least try. You're not always going to get it spot on, but I think uh, over time, you know, you'll you'll realise small things and you go, actually, I've been saying this, but really I should have been saying this. Um, but I think if you at least try and get it as as near to being spot on as you can, then you're on the right track, really. Well, as long as you don't call um, Hans-Jörg Butt, uh, Hans-Jörg Butt, because when I yeah. first moved to Canada, that was a very common one. That's a good start, I think. That's a good start. <laughs> oh, but Kevin, I, I, think, yeah. I think for most... Sorry, I was just going to say, I think I think the good commentators see it as a challenge. Um, you know, Derek Ray is somebody who really embraces it. I mean, he will ring up press officers. Uh, he will go to... Um, you know, extraordinary lengths to make sure it's absolutely right. And sometimes he will get stick because people, it's so far away from what people expect the pronunciation to be, even though it's 100% spot on, he will get stick from people, um, thinking he's got it wrong, whereas actually he's got it 100% right. And working alongside him, I thought I was doing it well. And then I realized actually I can do this even better. So sometimes commentators you work alongside can push you to another level, which I think is really good. Well, that's it. I, th I think uh, these guys are probably asking on my behalf. They're, and you're more or less saying work a bit harder. I've, I've always just said that, you know, me being from Northern Ireland, dealing with players called Steve Davis it was so easy. So um, <laughs> I, I'm not used to you know, all these uh, 
all these different names, but um, we do try our best, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, Kevin, before you go, I feel we're going to have to touch a little bit on this season that's just finished. So the 2017-2018 season has come to an end, and we're getting closer to the World Cup. But before the World Cup starts, I feel we need to talk about what's going on. And I mean, Kevin, for you, it, it was an exciting season. Maybe people would look at it and say, yeah, but Byron walked away with the title. But there was plenty to talk about. And uh, we need to speak to you, a man who's watched it very closely. And, you know, say, what what was the biggest surprise for you this season? Well, the biggest surprise, I think Schalke have to go down as one of the biggest surprises in the sense that Tedesco was able to completely transform the way they played in a really short space of time. Um, getting second was hugely impressive. Admittedly, Dortmund didn't have their act together, and nor really did Leverkusen, and nor did Leipzig, so that massively helped them. But they took advantage in, you know, quite brutal style. I mean, they're not fun to watch. They're really not. It's very precise football. It's very organised. But for a guy of 32 to have been able to unite a squad which has notoriously been difficult to unite. I mean, as Bundesliga fans, for a long, long time, you guys will know, Schalke has been synonymous with dressing room leaks and angst for years. I've never known that club to be so united. Uh, Christian Heidel, the sporting director, I think has done a super job and I think continues to do so. And I'm quite excited to see where they go next because... Having built the platform tactically, I think Tedesco now will come up with a few more tricks. And I think if they play at a higher tempo in attack, they're going to be a really dangerous team. Kevin, can I just ask what you thought of, of um, Cologne? Because everybody had some high hopes for them qualifying for Europe for the first time. And I think it was a quarter of a century, wasn't it? And, and the way they played the season before and, and then it spectacularly came off the rails. I mean, how did you view that? Because you did a lot of their games live and will have done, obviously, the highlights package. So you must have seen the pain firsthand. Yeah, I think the first thing it illustrated was how much they overachieved in the previous season because they were a limited group of players who managed to uh, hit upon a system that worked. And that crowd in Cologne, as you guys will know, is extraordinary. And once they've got something to get behind, it can often make a really big difference. But you lose your star striker who was responsible for almost half your goals, you're going to struggle. And you look at some of the recruitment, they went for younger guys who they felt they could develop. Maybe it was a model they were putting in where they felt they could develop guys and sell them on. But that comes with risk attached. I think a lot of the... More talented players let them down. I think Yuya Osako, Leonardo Bittencourt, guys like that just didn't perform over the course of the season. They had some injury problems. Marcel Rissa has never really looked the same since his serious knee injuries, so that's been a big problem. John Cordoba was an unmitigated disaster um, in attack. I feel a little sorry for him because he had nothing on his record to suggest that he was going to be able to replace the goals that they lost by selling Modeste. Uh, it's Chinese football. Uh, but I think one of the keys was losing Honest Hector for a big chunk of the season as well. And I just think without some key players and with some, you know, arguments behind the scenes, they just lost the plot. And once they lost their collective confidence, 
and their team spirit, which the whole thing had been based on in the first place, it was inevitable that they would start dropping like a stone. Was there any surprise at Hamburg or did you feel like we did that? Maybe they'd been standing on the edge of the precipice for too long and were eventually going to fall in at some point? Ultimately, they paid the price for poor recruitment. That's the basic truth of it. I think if you look at their squads, you'd struggle to argue that it deserves to be anywhere near even mid-table, really. Um, they actually started the season fairly well. I commentated on the game where they won at Köln and went top of the table. Um, I think I said, so often the crisis club, maybe not this season. That didn't last very long, <laughs> truth be told. Um, and I just think you look at the lack of consistency when it comes to coaching. Uh, I mean, I think if you've got an unstable situation higher up the club, it's always going to filter down to the coaching situation. So changes constantly in the supervisory group, at sporting director, um, you know, that constant rearranging of the deck chairs. And it just led to uncertainty. Bernd Hollerbach, I thought initially might be the right man because he might whip them into shape. But then we realised he hasn't got a clue how to organise the team in terms of attacking play. So you can't draw nil-nil every week. Um, Christian Titz came in and has done okay. I'd like to see how he gets on long term because I don't think he can be too comfortable at this stage. Um, and obviously Marcus Gisdol was indulged for too long because I think it was quite obvious for quite a long time that he wasn't up to the job in terms of taking that football club forward. So I think they've paid the price ultimately for just a, a long, long sequence of awful decisions. And Kevin, I, I suppose the few questions I was going to put to you was uh, team of the year, coach of the year and, and player of the year. Would, would coach and team of the year be Tedesco and Schalke then? No, it wouldn't actually, and it's very, very close. But I, I have to give Coach of the Year and Team of the Year to Julian Nagelsmann and Hoffenheim. Because That's a great shout. Great shout. Just the most <laughs> extraordinary piece yeah. of coaching. To lose your best striker, your best midfielder, and your best defender to Bayern. Um, to lose Serge Gnabry for a fair bit of the first half of the season because of injury and also because he wasn't quite adapted to the way they wanted to play to get over that soul-crushing defeat to Liverpool in the Champions League playoffs to do all of that and cope with the demands of a Europa League run to do all of that and finish third is just the most remarkable feat of coaching I can remember for a long long time and so absolutely he is coach of the season again and absolutely their team of the season because they have, he has squeezed every drop of potential out of that squad. It's amazing. I think they were just very unlucky to draw Liverpool. And actually, now they can look back at that and think, well, we went out to one of the finalists. So maybe we didn't do that bad after all. Yeah. And I think that was just strange side because we'll never know what would have happened if Kramerich had put that penalty away early on. And Kramerich. Kramerich is the ultimate confidence player because having missed that penalty, uh, that stayed with him for a long, long time and he went on a ridiculous goal drought. And there was a moment in a game that I covered uh, away at Hertha where Hoffenheim won a penalty and he grabbed the ball and he would not let it go. And there were about four players who wanted to take the pen and he said, no chance. He said, I'm having this. And he put the penalty away and from that moment on, he took off and he was a key player for them 
for the rest of the season, certainly in the second half of the campaign. Um, and I think, again, that comes down to, to Nagelsmann as well. I mean, he is, you know, we talk about his tactical ability and quite right too. We talk about uh, his genius, uh, you know, when it comes to setting his team up. Actually, the most important thing, and I, I, I say this about Tedesco too, they're guys who can manage players. You know, they are great man managers. They understand how players tick, even though they're only in their only early 30s, both of them. Uh, and I think that is the key. If you can get, from Tedesco's point of view, if you can get Naldo, a 35-year-old who's three years older than you, saying that you're the best coach he's ever worked with, you're doing something right. And we, the three of us, felt that um, Nagelsmann had had to do, and I think probably grown-up's the wrong word, but he had to do his, his development in the public eye. And you don't often get that as a young coach, and, and you're quite rightly for him to finish where they did after the start they had, and maybe a little wobble, and there was some real fan um, some fan crisis at times, wasn't there, earlier on in the season, around about the New Year time, they were they were very unhappy with things. I think they, he was called out at a meeting, and then, you know, the end of the season, it's completely different. Yeah, there was a um, there were a few fan meetings. Um, I speak to Lutz Fanenstiel, their head of scouting, from time to time, and he said that they got quite heated those fan meetings. And the the general message was, why aren't you trusting in this guy? He's delivered incredible things so far. Just trust him, and we will get there. And they did. And I, I think it probably shows just how far they've come in a short space of time that they do expect. Uh, to win every home game. They do expect now to be rubbing shoulders with some of the biggest clubs in Europe. And it's massively unrealistic when you think about it. When you think of the money they've spent, when you think of the players they've lost, but that's what he's done through sheer force of will, through sheer mercurial talent. Nagelsmann has dragged that club up to a level that nobody could have realistically expected it to get to. It was interesting what you said about him having to kind of grow up in the public eye. I mean, this is a guy who lost his father you know, pretty early on. He had personal tragedy in that regard. I think he's long-term as a man drawn great strength from that. And, and I think, you know, he has had to grow up quickly regardless of football. And I think you see that now. And I think, you know, that's also why he is so empathetic and why he can connect with his players on a human level. Kevin, do you reckon that he, Hoffenheim will play a better role in the Champions League next year than they did in the Europa League this year? I would hope so. I think it depends on recruitment. I mean, they've lost Canabry now, which is a, a really big blow because he'd become a very important player uh, for their Mark Utis going as well. So they have a huge amount to do in the transfer market. I know that they are working really, really hard on that. I know they've identified a lot of targets already. It's just a question of whether they can get that those over the line. Um, I think the Europa League will have taught them a lot. I think they were a little unfairly um, criticised for what they did in the Europa League. I commentated on all six of their games and they took the lead in five of them and they only managed to win one in the end. But there were a lot of close-run things in that Europa League and I think they will have learned some very important lessons. Yes, indeed, I would imagine. So, uh, Kevin, just before we let you go... um, what things are you looking forward to most going into uh, next season? Uh, I think one of the main things is whether Bayern's rivals, as you would hope they would be rivals, can actually get their act together and start taking a chunk out of the champions, because I think that's the only way we're going to have a genuine title race. 
I think Leipzig have made a big, big mistake um, by passing company with Ralf Hasenhutl. I think it was probably inevitable because if you work under Ralf Rangnick for any period of time, so he's you know he's an incredibly intelligent guy with an amazing record in football. But I get the impression that it's his way or the highway, and with a strong personality like Hasenhutl, I think probably it was inevitable that. In the end, they were going to part company at some stage. I, I think they should have held off and maybe made that happen a season later. So it'll be fascinating to see if they can actually get themselves sorted. Um, in terms of Schalke, as I say, I think they're exciting. I think they can be consistent. I think they can take strides forward if they uh, make the, the right moves in terms of recruiting. Um, and the, the big question is Borussia Dortmund. You know, what can Lucy and Favre do with them? We know he's got the best out of Marco Royce in the past, and I would think that Royce, if he stays fit, that's always the eternal question with him. But if he does stay fit, he can be a real, a real, um, you know, talisman for them, a real leader for them. But I think they need to sort that squad out because it's too big, it's too unbalanced, and there are too many players that simply aren't playing anywhere near as well as they can play. So I'm looking forward to see, you know, who can take a chunk out of Bayern next season. Yes, aren't we all, Kevin? I think we can all agree with that. But thank you very much for your time. I know that you're busy uh, and you you have to rush on. But uh, Kevin, is there anything you'd like to plug or where can people uh, find you over the, the next coming weeks and months before the Bundesliga starts up again? Uh, well, I'll be covering uh, Germany's progress in the World Cup uh, for Betfair. So uh, if you follow me uh, at Kevin Hatchard on Twitter, you'll be able to see uh, all of the articles. Uh, that are related to that. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to see uh, how Germany get on. Uh, I think they will win it. Uh, once again, I know that's not a massively bold prediction, seeing as they're the champions and one of the favourites, but I do think they will win it uh, in Russia this summer. So, uh, so there you go. You uh, heard it here, 751st. <laughs> uh, Kevin, you're allowed to come back on. Cheers, chaps. I will look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, thank you very much for your time and have a great summer and enjoy the World Cup. Cheers, Hans. Thanks a lot. Kevin our people. What a guy. We, we, we can, uh, we'll certainly be trying to get him back on uh, next season, and we hope he has a, a good um, summer at the World Cup and that. But, guys, uh, we've got plenty more to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, the season in a summary. So, um, guys, I suppose we, we need to do our coach of the year, uh, our player of the year, and, and, and our team of the year. So, well, let, let's start with with coach of the year um i'm gonna go to manu for this one um and but uh, but we'll all get involved i i think and then once we've covered these three we'll we'll maybe talk about any memorable moments that we have it it's it's always a, a great time in the bundesliga isn't it but manu who for you was your coach of the season oh i i am with uh kevin hatchard on that one um I mean, honorary, we should give it to Domenico Tedesco after giving him only five games um, for this season. Um, but yeah, I, I think Julian Nagelsmann just etches it out um, over Domenico Tedesco for me because the, the the finish to that season was remarkable and the, the, the maturing that he's obviously undertaking in this season was incredible. So yeah, for me, it's... Uh, Julian Nagelsmann, slightly ahead of Domenico Tedesco. Wow, and Chris, um, who are you going to go for? Are you going to follow uh, with Manu and follow with Kevin uh, and and say, um, 
Nagelsmann, or, or are you going to go Tedesco? Uh, well, I was going to go Peter Stoger, um, but well, no, honestly, I wasn't really. Um, yeah, I, I can't see anything past Nagelsmann. Um, I saw their very first game um, of the season was over in Hoffenheim for that against Werder Bremen, where they um, where they beat them one nil, but it's a little bit more comprehensive than one nil. Um, and then obviously it was at Anfield for was a bit of an implosion, wasn't it? But since that time. Um, yeah, they've really grown in stature, and uh, Kevin covered the the fan animosity that has um, gone along with that earlier on in the season, and he rode all that, and you know he's navigated Hoffenheim to a fantastic finish. And I'm going to be looking forward to watching them in the Champions League next season. That's that's the key for me. How are they going to do? And I'm excited to watch him grow as a coach as well in that competition. And I think if we're going to look forward as well as backwards. If they can finish third in their group, depending on who they get in the draw, um, I think they could go into the Europa League and have a real good crack at that and very confident about what Hoffenheim can do. And yeah, that's all down to Julian Nagelsmann and that's all down to his coaching and he's deservedly my coach of the season. Yeah, I think it's hard to look past the two that everyone's mentioned so far. I'm going to say Tedesco because um, I, I think it was more unexpected than Nagelsmann, but um, I, I, I think uh, either have a, have a strong case for it. And I'm looking forward to seeing both of them in Europe next year. Schalke are going to obviously have a bit of a, a shock to the system as they try to balance that with a, a domestic campaign, especially when expectations are going to be a little bit higher. But um, I, I suppose, guys, let, let's move on to player of the season. Um, Chris, I'm going to let you go first on this one because we let Manu go first uh, after Kevin, obviously. But who was your player of the season? James Rodriguez, for me. Um, I think he's been fantastic at Bayern. Uh, I've enjoyed watching him play. I thought for someone who was came in as an Ancelotti coach, I was a little worried for him when, um, obviously, the Italian departed and um, Jupp Heynckes came back. But I think Jupp Heynckes converted him into just a fantastic player, and some of the games I've seen him play for Bayern this season have just been excited and he controls the area of the pitch throughout. Um, he's just a joy to watch, an absolute joy to watch. And every time I've seen Bayern play for, um, since Heikas took over, he's been the key man for me. Vidal has been on, um, on occasion, but Rodriguez Hames has always been there or thereabouts and he's been a fantastic joy to watch. And for me, was, that was an easy decision, Bryce. Uh, Manu, what about you? Have, have you got such a, an easy made choice as well? Is it going to follow Chris and be James Rodriguez? Yeah, I was actually going to say James Rodriguez as well. Um, for all the reasons Chris just mentioned, he's just been... Maybe the one thing I want to add is that uh, what a transfer steal he was for Bayern. You know, they're going to sign him on overall 55 million euros, I believe, and that's that's remarkable. And... Um, Every time I've seen him, he's been... I, I always look forward to seeing Hamas. I don't always look forward to seeing Bayern, but I always do look forward to seeing Hamas Rodriguez. And I am definitely looking forward to seeing him at the World Cup as well. So yeah, he's my player of the season. I think we should also maybe mention Lewandowski um, for for getting a goal-scoring goal crown um, that he was looking uh, forward to so much last season. And uh, with Aubameyang gone, he got it. So yeah, he's uh, maybe a close second. For me, guys, I'm, I'm going to go a bit left field with my approach, and I'm going to say Niles Peterson, just because I didn't see 
I, I didn't see the amount of goals coming from him, especially as Freiburg were rather disappointing this year. I, I, I think he's done really well, and I think he deserves a good old pat on the back. I think James Rodriguez is the obvious choice, but you know, I, I don't think anyone calls him to be runnered up in the in the uh, golden boot section. Hipster choice, oh. Bryce. Love it. Yeah, yeah I, love, that, I love it too. I actually thought of Peterson as well um, when, I, when I was going through the list of names. And you're quite right. I think he scored 15 out of 32 uh, goals for Freiburg and pretty much kept him in the league on his own. And he might be in Russia. Um, so it's a good choice. Yeah, that, that, that's it. I, I hope for his sake he is. He's had a good season. There'll be a nice reward for him. But guys, let's move to young player of the season. We're just going to have a quick one on this. I'm just going to throw throw that one in into the pot. But um, I'll go first then because I haven't had the chance to yet. But I think Leon Bailey's been fantastic this season. I think he's been outrageous for Leverkusen. And it just when... Um, I was I was thinking, you know, what well, what's all this hype about? Is he that good? Uh, I can't remember now which game it was off the top of my head. He scored an absolute screamer with his left foot, and um, I, I'm very surprised that England didn't do absolutely everything to to persuade him, even twist his arm to get him on the plane to take to Russia. Because uh, apparently there's some possibility of that. I don't know how true it is, but. He, he was fantastic this year. He's very exciting. He's only 20 years old, and Leverkusen will be doing all they can, I'm sure, to, to try and hold, hold on to that young man for as, as long as possible. But, uh, Manu, let, let's go to you. Who's your young player of the season? Uh, Serge Knabry. I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Um, it's too bad he picked up an injury and he's not going to be on that plane to Russia. Uh, Leon Bailey is a good shoulder, but for me, the the last, the finish of the season, he wasn't convincing enough to to get it. Um, and I, as for his English uh, passport, I think that was pretty much um, a hoax. <laughs> you you could be right there, I think. Uh, but um, uh, Chris, uh, what about you, young player of the season? I'm in agreement with you, Bryce. I've gone for Leon Bailey. I thought he's fantastic, uh, real exciting player to watch. I think he's instrumental in uh, Leverkusen's rise from uh, what was a pretty poor season last season. And they play some really exciting football throughout, and he's been key to that. And they've got an exciting future, I think, because that core group of players, if they can keep them together. Uh, He's been linked, obviously, with a move in the last 48 hours for crazy money. Now, whether Leverkusen can turn that down or not is a different matter. But if he stays in a Bundesliga, I'll be really excited to see him play again next season. yeah, for me, um, you know, 12 goals, six assists, 34 games across two competitions this season. Um, he's only 20. Yeah, very, very well to get that player of the year. Bryce, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. Good stuff. Uh, guys, then very quickly, I suppose, as we're running out of time, everyone's going to be asking, well, who, who was team of the season? And, I suppose after naming coach of the season with uh, Nagelsmann and Tedesco, people will probably expect to hear like says Schalke uh, and Hoffenheim coming up. Uh, Chris, is it going to be for you? One of those sides going to be your team of the season? No, my team of the season is going to be the team that um, Manu and I watched lift the DFB Pokal, which is Frankfurt. I've enjoyed watching them throughout the season. I've especially enjoyed watching them not fall off towards um, the um, turn of the year, which they did last season. Okay, they had a little bit of a ropey finish towards the end of the year in the league after Kovac was named as going to Bayern. 
But I think the final, um, and you can't obviously judge a team on one game, but their performance throughout the season was encapsulated in that final performance where they, in the end, blew away Bayern Munich and were deserved winners. So Eintracht Frankfurt is my team of the season, Bryce. Lovely choice. I like that one a lot, Chris. Uh, Manu, who, who's your team of the season? I struggled with that one, and um, I pretty much have to go in agreement with Chris, although I want to give Stuttgart an honorary mention as well, because the second half of the season under Korkut was maybe also a good shot for a coach of the season, um, outside shot, chance, maybe. But um, yeah, I thought that the second half of the season was incredible. And I think since Korkut has been charged, only Bayern München collected more points than they did in the Bundesliga. So um, Eindracht got it, but I want to give an honorary mention to VfB Stuttgart. Well, you both stole my sandwich on that one. <laughs> I was going to say that I shout out to Stuttgart because um, you know, they were only promoted last season. Yes, there wasn't many goals. They scored 36 in 34, but they didn't concede many either in just 36. And you know, I think it's a fantastic feat to get promoted. We obviously seen Leipzig last year um, go into a bit of a, a title uh contention especially early doors but um it was for Stuttgart to finish in seventh I, I think that's a a hell of a feat but I would probably go for Frankfurt it, it was good to see them win the cup as well and beat Bayern in the final um I do feel that we should probably give a little shout out for Bayern because they did win the the league but um that's far too obvious isn't it um yeah because uh, they wanted uh, the treble and they got one so they can't have the team of season at all no Exactly. We've seen better Bayern teams win the league and more. So, so let's give it to to the guys around them. Um, I can't believe, I can't believe nobody mentioned Dortmund. Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, but, anyway, we're get, we're gonna pass that one. But guys, uh, before we go, is there any memorable events of the season that either you would like to bring up, or, or are we done? Chris, that cup final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cup final was, I mean, that was historic. And I'm really glad that both you and I got to, um, got to witness that firsthand in the area we did as well, because we were surrounded by both sets of fans and those Frankfurt fans behind us and in front of us and Bayern fans the side of us. And to see that was, was unbelievable. But I mean, apart from that one off final, which it is, I think the 4-4 Rivera derby will live with me for a mm. long time. That was a fantastic game. Um, for various reasons, collapses, etc. And then I suppose that return game in Schalke was equally as, as fantastic for maybe all the wrong reasons if you follow Dortmund, but all the right reasons for Schalke. Absolutely. We've seen uh, the two rivals go close this season, but Schalke coming out on top. It's going to be an interesting summer I feel with different uh, coaches going in different directions and also uh, players alike we're also seeing the end of a long long period in the top flight for Hamburg come to an end a bit of a end of a rather long era say long again um, Cologne obviously not many people would have called for them to go down but uh, we say goodbye to possibly the best fans in the league but hello to Fortuna Dusseldorf who will bring their own fantastic fans and Nuremberg returning to the top flight it's an exciting time guys I think that more or less does it for the season would would you like to draw people's attention to anything Chris or where can they find you online for one last time this season um 
personally, they can find me um, at Chris78Williams. Obviously, everything I do with you guys can be found on at Football Grad Live. Um, Manu's going to have a very busy, busy, busy time in Russia. Um, so I will be on hand to support him with any graphical representations needed. But bar that, Bryce, I'm going to enjoy um, the World Cup as a fan. Um, and hopefully that's going to start with seeing some of these international friendlies that we've got coming this week. Most certainly, yes. I am excited too. I, for one, love the World Cup as a football fan. So whatever you've got to say negative about it, I don't want to know. Um, Manu, you obviously have a very busy uh, time coming up in Russia. Uh, what would you like to uh, draw people's attention to? Yeah, so the, the group stage previews are coming out. We have uh, the over at the Football Grad podcast where we're introducing Russia. Um, that podcast is out already, and then we're going to do um, two podcasts on the various groups, um, groups and teams in those groups uh, previews, so that will be out over the next two weeks. And then um, match previews, um, they will be out on footballgrad.com as well. Um, it's going to be very busy, um, going to cover it in as many possible ways as we can. And yeah, I'll be at the tournament. Andrew Flint will be at the tournament. So um, it will be crazy busy. So I'm right now, I'm in, in Croatia, um, just take, trying to take a breather for a few days until the madness begins. Yeah, we'll make sure to, to certainly enjoy Manu and, and relax the best you can before the, the madness begins. And uh, yeah, for anyone, head over to at Football Grad Live. There's going to be so much content, so much coverage on there. It, it, it's going to be fantastic. If you miss anything, it'll be on there. I'm positive. But thank you very much for tuning in uh, this season um, on, on the behalf of uh, Chris, Manu and myself. Bryce Dunn, we, we really appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening and interacting with us online. It'll be no time until the Bundesliga returns. Uh, and yes, obviously it can't happen soon enough, but uh, we appreciate you tuning in this year. And uh, for one last time, I'll feed us in. Ich war seit Wochen. Auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.